It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, welcome to Locked On Suns, part of Locked On Podcast Network. Today's always most Evan Setter and joined by co-host Brennan Clean. You can follow me on Twitter at ESetter. You can follow Brennan on Twitter at BrennanClean14. Also, make sure to follow our Locked On Suns for page. You are already at Locked On PHX Suns. Your support of is very much appreciated. We're joining us today for our usual Monday through Friday episodes. Today is Thursday, the day after we recorded last night, where they lost to the Philadelphia 76ers in a close game, even though it really wasn't that close in the very, in the very beginning of the game, Brennan, but... <clears throat> Nine and thirty now in the season for the for the Phoenix Suns. We're going to talk more about say the three main guys in this roster, uh, two of their pillars and their their new coach now, which is Devin Booker, DeAndre, and Igor Koshkov. It's a new year, two thousand nineteen. So we thought here at Locked On Suns, might as well do a new year, new expectations kind of show where we talk about how we thought these three guys have done and what what we can expect in two thousand nineteen. So, Brendan, before we get into this, let me just toss it your way if you wanted to explain more or if you want to just go right into it. Yeah, just, you know, I think some of these guys are rookies. Obviously, Aiton's a rookie, but I think it's probably the most interesting part of a, a young team playing through a season is just to see, like, you know, are there any skills we didn't expect? Are there any, you know, extreme levels of production for a certain guy? I think one example might be DeAndre Aiton's finishing and overall efficiency scoring the ball is probably an outlier we wouldn't have expected despite knowing how good he was going to be physically and as a center just kind of doing the little things in this league the fact that he's done it at that level already might be one of the areas we talk about for him and and that kind of thing so yeah I mean we can dive right in I think we can probably start let's just start with Aiton then because he I think is one of the guys that's around the league honestly the most interesting to see kind of where his development goes and it does to me all start with his efficiency around the rim it's it's held up for sure this year even gone up a little bit from where he was he's at 73 percent finishing at the rim right now and not only that I mean you don't like to see guys take the Suns take a little more from the mid-range just as their total number as a percentage of their total number of shots just too many of those in my opinion but you can't really argue with the results and Aiton's another big reason why that can be so effective for the Suns. He's at 44% for mid range on the season too. So the majority of what he did in on offense in college has translated right away. And so I think, you know, to start with the offense to me, you know, the fact that he's done it so quickly kind of does make me feel like there's even more room to grow because he's kind of picked up right where he left off at Arizona and he's still only 20 years old. Is that what surprised you, Brennan, as far as like we saw the first few months of the season where he was going through some growing pains, but 
over the last 10 games, he's averaging, by the way, 17 points, 11 rebounds on a block per game this season overall. But in his last 10 games, since Devin Booker's return on December 15th, Aiden's averaging 21.4 points. He's also averaging 13.5 rebounds, 1.5 steals, and a block per game. And he's shooting an insane 66.5% from the field. So this is just crazy to think that this guy, like you said, just turned 20 about five months ago. And he's already producing like a Joel Embiid type over the past 10 games. And it really, the sky is the limit for this guy if he develops on the defensive end, especially. But the offensive end, really from two levels of the floor, he's already an efficient, very efficient big guy. For sure. And I think, you know, we will probably need to, obviously, we, we, we do the games every day and all that. But I think it's healthy, too, to go back and look. We'll probably should do another episode like this once he starts shooting threes, because that's to me the next real you know, call it a frontier or whatever you want to do. Like he's doing this and being this efficient. I mean, he's over 60% true shooting um, and 61% effective field goal percentage. Those two numbers, if, if they're over 60, that's the sign of a pretty elite player uh, from an efficiency standpoint. Obviously he's not taking incredibly difficult shots for the most part, which is of course a big part of why he's making so many, you know, offensive rebounds, putbacks and lobs and, that's where a lot of his offense is coming from right now, but there's players in this league who can't even do that. And especially as rookies struggle. Um, so the fact that his physical advantages have shown up against NBA caliber players in the West, where there are so many great centers is really incredible to watch every night. And especially over the past, you know, nine, 10 games, like you just mentioned. So, I mean, we can probably move on to his defense too, because that's even more so than his offense. You know, once he starts shooting threes, I think that'll be, a really interesting thing to watch that isn't a sure thing, but some of those other areas, I think if you were even slightly optimistic, you probably felt like Aiton was going to be able to be pretty efficient offensively, but defensively I think is really the, the skill that his entire future kind of hinges on developing the ability to read the game and make decisions in a split second is probably his weakest trait right now and was his weakest trait coming into the league. But where do you feel like, he is with that right now. I mean, have you seen growth on that end? We've seen it statistically. He's blocking more shots recently. Overall on the season now, he's right around league average in terms of block percentage, just the number of, of opponent shot attempts he's blocking while he's on the court is right around league average. So I think that's probably statistically kind of an, an upgrade from what you might have expected. But just watching this team, do you feel like he's grown throughout the course of the year? I do. I think especially defensively, the, ro <clears throat> the rotations are still hit and miss. Like he obviously floats sometimes. We, we talked about it last night at the game. Like there were some moments in the game, especially early on in the first half, where he was legitimately just floating out there. I don't think he really knew what he was doing as far as defense and offense goes. I think just when he's disengaged, it's kind of a, a sight to behold because he, he just looks completely different when he's not engaged. But when he is engaged, he looks way better. We saw it in Orlando. I mean, he put on a showcase in those five minutes, that overtime game last week in Orlando where he had, I believe he had two blocks in overtime period and he used to show off his freak athleticism. But I don't want to, I don't mean to bad trick here, Brandon, but I wanted to ask you one more point about his offense where he went into his defense. And that was just about his ability to create off the bounce or off the dribble. I mean, I know we didn't really see much in Arizona. I mean, we saw a little bit at Hillcrest prep in high school, but are you surprised that a guy like DeAndre, and when you see guys like Jaron Jackson Jr., Anthony Davis when he was younger, Embiid, these guys can all create for themselves off the dribble, but DeAndre Aiden really can't right now. Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting considering kind of the overall feel he has for the game. You know, he's not the most adept post player. He didn't come in like a Jaleel Okafor or somebody that can kind of create an open shot around the basket pretty easily for himself. But 
it's not like he has no skill at all down there. So to see it kind of already working, he has a little hook shot around the rim. He has a spin move he can get to pretty, pretty easily. And then he, he's kind of messing around with an up and under layup that comes and goes. He, he has some moves on the, in the post. So it, it is just interesting that when he has to put the ball on the ground from a little further out around the elbow, around the free throw line, that he struggles. I mean, he really just doesn't do it. He goes to the mid-range shot instead of even attempting to do that kind of stuff. So maybe it is something where he just doesn't feel comfortable and we haven't really seen it. I don't feel like I've necessarily seen enough to say he's like incapable. It's just more alarming that he doesn't really try it because like you said, there's a lot of, I mean, Carl Anthony Towns is a guy who right away was, you know, he can drive from the three point line and get a dunk for himself. Joel Embiid did that several times just last night against the Suns. So, you know, it, it, it is interesting to see that he has so many of these other skills, but that's just not coming along. And I think, unfortunately, I mean, for better or worse, I guess, maybe not unfortunately, we'll see, but it kind of feels like his offense is going to be, it's going to kind of be based on how that mid-range shot develops. I think that's his go-to. That's what he feels most comfortable doing. Hopefully, eventually, that's less of a diet, less a part of his diet, but uh, I think he's kind of, pretty set on that shot and then playing through it, playing off of it. If they overplay him, then maybe that's when he, you know, starts to try to put the ball on the ground and fill out the rest of his game. But I think that mid-ranger is kind of his substitute for making plays off the dribble when that's often the most efficient play is obviously to go try to get a layup or a dunk. Yeah, I think once he realizes that he can create content, we saw it last night, especially in the night before where he's really starting to realize when he gets in the paint, he just goes up with the ball. He's going to get fouled most of the time. So hopefully that's a development you see in 2019, but getting back on Aiden's defense real quick, Brennan, what's your thoughts? I guess this is a more of an Aiden question, just like a long-term roster construction question. Do you feel like Aiden's rim protection has improved over the past few weeks? And if so, do you still feel comfortable or do you think it's a, a priority for this team to get a secondary rim protector alongside him this offseason? Yeah, I think you need defense at the power forward, which is part of the reason that, Despite TJ Warren's growth, I mean, he's not a guy we're going to talk about today. I think we've hit on him plenty. There's not, you know, you look a little deeper, there's not too much about his game that has changed apart from making threes this year. And he's had a really rough few games now. So um, I don't know if Warren's the answer as like a starting caliber player at the four long term next to eight. Next to eight. And I think there's probably a little bit more defense, a little bit more. Um, size even though Warren's pretty you know physically imposing he's not quite tall enough or long enough to really make guys work so I think you know hopefully there would be a little bit more help for him but I think individually I mean from a rim protection standpoint he's definitely gotten better I think that's pretty obvious uh, to do it against NBA guards and to do it you know within the context of the faster NBA game all those kinds of things he's definitely made a stride I think just protecting the rim but reading the game I think is is clearly the next step for him because even when he gets blocks, there will be possessions where it's just glaringly obvious that he needs to be in position to contest a shot, to kind of be in position to even get a rebound when he's not there. Some of those same problems we saw in college still haven't gone away. Now, one more general thing I wanted to ask you about, A, and this isn't related to his defense, we're bouncing back to offense here for just a moment because over at Liberty Ballers today, they patted me on for a Q&A about the Suns and I got an interesting question from their writer, and he asked um, about who has more number one upside on a championship team as far as scoring goes, Aiton or Booker. I guess we can transition to Booker as well after you answer this, but what do you think about Aiton's long-term potential? Because you see in Philadelphia now, 
Joel Embiid gets the ball almost every time down the floor, back to the basket. DeAndre Ayton's not like that, but do you think that's the way they should empower him in his development? Uh, I don't know if I'm necessarily, I mean, the, the passing I think is above average for his age and for his position, but, you know, Embiid is just a freak from the way he kind of controls and dictates the game at, at center in an era in the league when that's really not how many teams play. He's able to, and we that's really what I took away from last night's game was the way that both Simmons and Embiid are able to use their positional advantages whether it's size, speed, shooting, all of the above, and dominate kind of every possession, make it their own. And, and Aiton's not that kind of player. Even against Denver, that big scoring night he had, we talked about it, not really, you know, 40 post possessions, and he's making the most out of every single one. It was lobs, it was, you know, dumps into the middle, and he's kind of making a quick decision. So I, I think we might and probably should see it more going forward, but I don't necessarily know if even in his prime, if that's necessarily how he's going to be used. I mean, Anthony Davis took him years before he was really like an efficient post player. And even now, I don't necessarily know if that's the best way to use him. So some players just, you know, I don't know if that's their most effective future, but at the same time, that's the number one overall pick. That's probably what you want from him is to be able to be a, you know, possession to possession dominant scorer on the inside. So it's probably one of the bigger questions for this team. Yeah, very valid points from up there, Brennan. Before we go on to our second segment, talk about Devin Booker and his 2019, the possibilities there. I want to tell you guys really quickly about the Locked on NBA Twitter account. If you're not already doing so, at Locked on NBA Net, it's one of the more valuable resources out there. Brennan and I both follow it. You should be following it too as well because you guys love our coverage here in Phoenix with Brennan and I, but there's so many more great coverage outside of Phoenix with guys like David Locke in Utah, Adam Mares in Denver, John Corrales in Boston. There's thing a few. We have almost every team credential now, so – Really fun to watch this growth process with our network. So if you want to follow along with the fun, go follow at Locked on NBA Net. Also want to tell you guys about Homie. Homie is our fantastic new sponsor getting into the real estate game here in Phoenix from their incredible success in Utah earlier in the year, the past few years, growing their business. I kind of ironing out a model that makes so much sense given what just everything is being done online more efficiently, more cheaply through the internet. And these guys have maximized, made the most of doing that with the real estate agent market. So they have a team of real estate agents. They have a team of attorneys. They've got your back in that way. But what they really want to do is save you money. They can sell any priced home at Homey for the same low cost of just $199 to list and $1,299 at close. That means on average, Homey customers save over $10,000. These guys recently sold a million-dollar home in record time, saving the homeowner over $60,000 in commissions. Think about all the fees that go on on the front and back end of getting your home ready to buy or sell. And it can kind of be a hassle. You're supposed to be excited about getting a house. You're supposed to be excited about moving in, but some of those fees can just pile up in a hurry. So Homey really tries to cut all of that out for you. So not only do you save all that money, but you can qualify as well for up to a $5,000 buyer refund to help with the closing costs when you do buy or sell a home with these guys. So think about all the different ways that they're helping you and go check out Homie. What we're going to do to make it even better is get you an extra $100 off that listing fee. So it'll be just $99 to list your house to sell at Homie on their mobile app or online. What you're going to do is call a phone number this time, not a coupon code or a promo code, but 
a phone number. That's 602-892-3335 to let them know that you came us and get $9 as a listing fee. That's, again, 602-892-3335. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, you want to go on to Booker or or Igor next? Booker, because I, I the All Star results came out as far as the early ones. I don't know if you saw. I think it was about a few months ago, but oh, I didn't. Lonzo Ball is ahead of Devin Booker again this year in All Star voting. Which surprise, is, surprise. Yeah, it's incredible. But um, Devin Booker, let's just go over his stats real quick. He's averaging just over twenty five points per game this year. He's also averaging seven assists per game, almost four rebounds per game. And over his last 10 games, he's really looking like a, a James Harden 2.0 type of player because he, if you factor in, he's taking less, really almost double less three-point attempts and free-throw attempts per game than James Harden. Booker's only averaging 29.3 points, 4.4 rebounds, eight assists per game, while Harden's averaging 41, 7, and 9, which is just unreal to even say. But I feel like Jonathan Jerks wrote a story on this, I think, an hour ago on The Ringer, and he said that Harden's really making a prototype for these guys, and he said that Devin Booker and Luka Doncic are the two guys who make the most sense to get that baton past them eventually. Do you agree with Jerk's statements where we go on? Because I think it's just an interesting point that it seems like James Harden and his really super high usage as far as threes go and free throw attempts, averaging 14 over his last 10 in each category. That kind of is the future for a guy like Devin Booker, it seems like. Yeah, it's it's incredible. I mean, it's definitely kind of – setting the stage. I, I've been thinking a lot about Harden. He's, I know a lot of people don't like him. He's really like one of my favorite players to watch just because of how consistent and creative and incredible he is getting to the rim, finding different ways to get his three point shot off that you're not even looking for. And I think that shot is, is exactly what I, you know, not that anyone at this point between Doncic and Booker or whoever else is at that level. Of course, Harden's in his prime. He's an MVP winner already and a runner-up once before that. So he's obviously at a different level, but the, the the place Booker needs to get is twofold. Getting to the rim and finishing there is extremely important for him. And then, you know, versatility to his jump shot. You know, we and I think that's where you, you go back to the point guard discussion. You know, we've kind of gotten away from it on this show because it's just beating the same drum over and over and and it's kind of obvious at this point where the problems come in but but Booker diversifying his threes and and kind of getting open shots in different ways is almost impossible without a point guard next to him at least one that is a more traditional passer than D'Anthony Melton or Elia Kobo or Jamal Crawford so we just don't get to see it. I mean, Harden kind of does it for himself and that's unique and, and wild, but I think Booker would really benefit from having somebody that could get him the ball and, and get him open threes. He's, he's really slumping from three this year, as we've talked about, only 31.8% right now. But if he can eventually get a, some players around him and diversify his own offensive game, get better around the rim, I think he could definitely get to that point. But He's he's actually improved a little bit. I just I, I've been, I had been meaning to check, and he's a little better at the rim this year. Sixty-two uh, percent up, three percent from last year. So that's encouraging. 
Yeah, it is. And if you look at his mid-range attempts too, it seems like those are going down just slightly. But it seems like, like you mentioned there on your last point there, Brennan, that he's really getting hampered by the offense because they don't have a starting caliber point guard still. D'Anthony Mellon's a really good rookie. So is Elliott Cope, but they're not starters, at least for a couple of years, in my opinion. So I feel like we're really missing out on the peak Devin Booker, even though he's averaging just elite numbers since his return. I feel like once he gets his own kind of Chris Paul to a James Harden, that he's going to really take another leap forward. But is that really what you're thinking as far as the offseason goes, that if James Jones can find him his Chris Paul, like it's not going to be like actually Chris Paul, but like his his sort of sidekick in the backcourt there, it take Booker to an even higher level. For sure. And, you know, I it, it's kind of going to be pretty interesting not to get too much into the offseason stuff right now, but we've both of us, I think, been pretty impressed by Elia Kobo and DeAnthony Melton. They were two guys we liked quite a bit in the draft and they're exciting prospects, but the reality is neither one of those guys is ready and Booker and Aiton both look ahead of schedule for their respective ages. So it'll be kind of an interesting thing to manipulate for the front office, the very inexperienced front office, you know, not to mention, and seeing how they kind of make things easier on Booker because I think despite what he's done and putting up incredible numbers, getting assists every night now, pretty routinely putting up 25, 7, that type of line, it's probably not what what we should be seeing from him in the future. So it's just kind of going to be an interesting thing to see where and how he makes the biggest impact on his team. But probably really quickly, we should touch on his defense, just give our quick thoughts. We've We've kind of been tracking it for most of the year, but have his – Consistent effort, I, I think, is really all that it's been. I don't think he's suddenly, you know, gained skills he didn't have before or anything crazy like that. But, I mean, does it does it give you any sense of optimism to know that when he does lock in, he can at least be somewhat, maybe a slight negative, maybe somewhat close to neutral on defense? Does that change how you feel about his, his ceiling as a player or the team ceiling? I do, actually, because we saw those, not to keep bringing up the same guy, but James Harden in Houston, once he kind of realized he was the issue on defense, I think we touched on this last week on the pod as well, that I think Booker sort of realized this as well as far as I'm like the weak link on this team and I actually need to step it up on defense so I can actually help our team win. And Booker's been giving these quotes out all year, like if, whether it's passing, whether it's shooting, whether it's playing defense, I just want to win at this point. It seems like it's kind of flipping in his head that I need to try on both ends consistently for our team to even have a shot most nights right now. Yeah, there's there's two quick things that it kind of reminds me of. One is uh, Anthony Davis, and not to draw parallels between that situation and this one because that's not what I'm doing, but just as far as a really interesting quote he gave, it's, it's kind of obvious to say it at face value, but it puts into perspective some of these guys on talent-deficient teams. It, Davis said before the year, like, I have to be pretty close to perfect for us to win, and that's true for a lot of players. Like LeBron James, you know, the, the Cavs don't win the 2016 title without him playing at a – you know, probably the best level we've ever seen in the finals, but it's pretty true for Devin Booker right now, a lot lower caliber all around, but still pretty indicative, you know, and that includes defense for him. And he needs to be at a playable level on that end for the Suns to have any chance to compete with good teams. And I think, you know, that kind of has been something I've been thinking about. Also, TJ Warren, the comments he had about his three-point shot this year, uh, he talked to Michael Pina, who actually will be a guest on our show next week to to talk about TJ and some other guys, he basically said, like, I just realized that I would be able to put up more numbers, help my team more if I shot that shot. And it took me a few years to get that through my mind. It kind of seems like the same thing happened with Booker where he's like, like you said, you know, I'm 
maybe not I'm the problem, but at the same time, you know, I'm holding the team back in some way. And it kind of seemed like maybe that was a switch that needed to flip after a few years for him. I feel like one more thing we wanted to hit on. I don't know if you've noticed this as well, but ever since his return, he has dumped the ball, I think six times in the past seven games. And I feel like the athleticism uptakes, we haven't really talked about much on this podcast, but from following his Instagram account and looking at all the videos he posted this summer, he really took this offseason series as far as taking another leap as far as athleticism goes. And I feel like as far as bursting to the basket, going by guys and really drives to the rim as well, it seems like he's taken like at least another a leap, so to say, not like a big one, but just a slight one where it's actually noticeable where he's actually becoming a better athlete in the process. Yeah, gaining separation too on drives. I think before he kind of had to try to manipulate angles and he would it would result in him going up awkwardly for shots. And I think that had a lot to do with his inefficiency at the rim, like we've talked about a, a few minutes ago, not really getting good shots, even if he was at the rim, kind of the same same type of thing Josh Jackson suffers from now, even though he does have the quickness. Booker would just kind of have to throw some something off the backboard and try to get it in. And he's also gotten a little more nifty around the rim, but the athleticism definitely shows he took, I agree. I mean, anyone who followed him throughout the off season, it seemed like his body and his kind of, you know, physical attributes were the main focus for him this summer. And that's showing up, especially as he gets more healthy. But before we give a few quick thoughts on Igor Kokoshkov, someone else that plays a pretty big role as far as the future of this team goes and how we've kind of, graded him and how his performance projects going forward and and whether he's really the right coach and all that for the very, very distant future of this team. I want to tell you guys about the Locked On NBA show. We're back five days a week. The holidays are over. Go check out everything the Locked On NBA show is doing. They did updated power rankings to start the new year. Um, the same guests as always too, Sam Amick of The Athletic, Ben Golliver of The Washington Post. So Really great shows every single day, just short 30 or so minute episodes like you're used to at Locked On Sun. So go subscribe to Locked On NBA to keep up with everything going on across the league and get all the information that you need five days a week. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, I'll let you start us off with Igor. Just how have you, to me, the kind of way that I've been thinking about it is like, we see a lot of the time with young teams that the, the first coach, the one who develops players, finds an identity, uh, you know, kind of puts the team together in a way, obviously the front office as well, but the coach ends up getting fired a lot of them. Like we, you know, think of uh, Scott Brooks in Oklahoma city is probably a good example. Even Kevin McHale early in James Harden's career. It seems like that first guy kind of ends up going and maybe that's inevitable, but how have you felt about Igor's kind of impact on the team? They're, they're pretty different. It seems like they have an identity for the first time in a few years. Yeah, they're really building an identity surprisingly around hustle on defense, deflections. I asked him about this, I believe, last week before a game, and he said that they're one of the leading teams in deflections. Their numbers are really high up than NBA stats. As I think he said like 35 deflections in the game. But it seems like just overall you have guys like D'Anthony, Mel, and McKill, Bridges, Kelly Oubre now after the trade. All these guys are just going around Aiton and Booker, and I think it's a smart way to build a team long term. But I feel like also I have to give Igor credit where it's due because – 
this team hasn't had a practice in 10 or 11 days, he said, and they're still, even though they've had a really rough start in the first quarter of the past few games, this team obviously has turned a corner, and this team obviously is listening to Igor now. It seemed like early in the season, especially a guy like Trevor Ariza, who would really zone out during the huddles and not really pay attention. It seems like the young guys actually actually care what Igor has to say, and it seems like they're actually finally starting to buy into the process because, I mean, when you're 4-24, and Brennan, it's really hard to really be like, hey, do I trust you because you're not showing results right now? But over the past few weeks, they've really taken a turn, and hopefully it's for the best because I think Igor is a good coach. We talked on this in the summer once he was hired, but I think just give Igor time, like Quinn Snyder in Utah's first year. I think they had some struggles early on. He's building an identity. He's building a system out. I think next year's the year I want to really hone in on for Igor, but he's done really well with all the ingredients not around him, like a point guard, which is still, you're really cutting him off the knees there, the management is for the Suns, because we touched on it after the brand night trade. When's this point guard trade going to happen? And it still hasn't happened three months into the season. So it kind yeah. of it goes to show that really with the ingredients that the front is really not put in front of him, he's still doing well for himself. Yeah, and I think especially with with him having as many ball handlers on the court as possible is kind of what's always made his systems work. And that you know they have one at the most on the court at any given time, an above average ball handler, and and at some points in the game zero. So it's been not an ideal fit for him. And I think his ability to adapt has has kind of been what's made it work. Uh, I think a lot of credit probably goes to. I don't know. It's tough to tell who who's responsible necessarily for hiring the assistant coaches, but I think Joe Prunty bringing him in to have that experience. I think he's had a pretty big hand in the defense, and the defense has been a calling card on many and most of their biggest games of the year, and that's been really impressive to see as well for a young squad. But I think Igor's ability to adapt is to go back to that is for him my my biggest the thing I'm most excited about because with a young team, I mean these guys are slumping or you know improving vice versa throughout the entire season it's going to look different on in October than it will in February and I think his ability and willingness to play through the strength of his players has been great I mean he's really candid about some of that stuff like you know he talked about Devin Booker feeling he called himself an average Joe and he's like to me some of the shots he takes seem not all that great but you know they go in and our team wins when he does it so you know, kind of finding that balance and earning the respect of his players and vice versa. The players seem to really respect him. Seems to be going a long way and they're buying into him asking them to do different things and, you know, them kind of having some pull as far as playing through their strengths. TJ Warren, I think, probably is not the type of player that Igor is used to coaching, the kind of, you know, steam engine going to the basket every moment he possibly can. That's not what we saw in Utah. Nobody played that way. But, you know, for the most part, it's the most efficient way for TJ to be playing. And it helps the Suns offense because they don't have a lot of other options. But one number I want to hit before we uh, go probably wrap up pretty soon is effective field goal percentage. It's at 51.7. It's up two entire percentage points from last season. It's 21st in the league. Uh, So that I think getting the team to make take and make more threes and more more shots at the basket, just freeing up guys for open shots, moving the ball, all that stuff that Igor tries to do. I think that's the number that you look at and, and kind of see it, it working. Yeah, that's a good point, bring up there, because just the efficiency with the Utah offense last year, it's kind of transiting over slowly but surely in Phoenix. But another number one to hell is the assist percentage there. It's really been a drastic change from the past few years with Earl Watson and Jay Triano. Igor has had everyone on this team average at least, it looks like, almost an assist per game. TJ's averaging career high in assists. 
Kelly Oubre's had a career on assist since he joined the team. Just what's your thoughts three months, four months into the year where we've now seen Igor's offense play almost every day now? What's your thoughts on his system overall? It's it's fun to watch. And I think, you know, once again, back to the point guard thing, but putting another guy on the court that can make plays, can get to the basket, can create shots for guys like DeAndre Ayton and TJ Warren besides Devin Booker and allowing Devin Booker to be off the ball. I mean, anyone who's wondering about the ultimate ceiling of this probably don't even watch the Jazz. Go back and watch the uh, Slovenian national team over the summer with Goran Dragic and Luka Doncic and some of the other guys on their bench that they had last year and what efficient, easy, open shots they were able to get every possession down the floor to win that tournament. The Eurobasket was just incredible. So I think, you know, you think about Booker kind of in the Doncic role there and getting somebody to fill the the Dragic role, more of a pure traditional point guard is really exciting. And I think we're on our way there watching it every night and having the talent kind of respond to what Igor wants to do and fit him a little better will eventually get there. But the fact that he's been able to ring pretty close to what he wants to do and, and get some efficiency out of it with so little talent is pretty impressive. It sure is. And I think moving forward in 2019, it might not really show in the wins losses category and the sun schedule gets easier as the season goes on. 2019 is a year I'm really looking forward to watching Igor because 2019-20 season is when I think we'll have all of the ingredients set from on the table from the front office and it will be put up or shut up time as far as that goes to Igor because I think his contract is three years maybe. So that might be the second yeah, final. Three years. That's crazy. I think that's really a short contract for a coach, isn't it, or not? Well, I think a lot of rookie coaches uh, tend to get longer ones because they're, you know, somebody bigger named and getting wooing them, you know, Billy Donovan or something like that is a little different, but I don't know for guys like him, maybe that's pretty normal. I, I can't really, he's such a unique circumstance being that he was most of his, his experience came from overseas, but three, three years, especially for a young team does feel kind of short. Yeah. That'll be interesting to follow guys. Appreciate you guys listening on today's podcast. We went a little deep on DeAndre and Devin Booker, your college call for you guys for looking to the new year, but appreciate you all listening once more. And we'll be back with you guys tomorrow to recap the Clippers game. Hey, prime members, you can listen to this locked on podcast ad free on Amazon music. Download the Amazon music app today.